Okay, okay. Take refuge in the Buddha and the one bright mind. Take refuge in the Dharma. Teachings of the truth. Take refuge in the Sangha. Those who embody those teachings. We're going to continue with the talks on the Mumon Khan. The Mumon Khan is the gateless gate to a classic collection of koans from the um, just after done by Zen Master Mumon, a Chinese Zen master. And I've been going through the, the collection sequentially. Uh, and I'm on case 23, but this case was a sort of complicated case, so I'm doing, this is the third talk on case 23. So because of some of you are new, let me recapitulate the, um, the story. So the, the koans are um, exercises in oneness. In order to work with a koan, you have to be able to have some experience of the nature of one mind, non-separation, non-duality. And if you actually see, have some taste of non-duality, then distance here and there are one thing. Self and other, one thing. Past and future, one thing. At some level. So there is a direct, vivid experience, which is one of the things that koans are constantly encouraging us to go deeply into and encouraging us to embody that in our ordinary life. So they're not mysterious riddles. Um, they are uh, kind of public cases. They're direct examples of, in the oneness of all things, how do you see this particular story? So this is case 23. Mumon Khan has 48 cases, and this is part three. And the koan is entitled, uh, Think Neither Good Nor Evil. And just a little background <coughs> from previous talks. Wei Nang was the sixth ancestor in China. There was Bodhidharma and then his followers, and Wei Nang was regarded as the sixth ancestor. And in a sutra called the Platform Sutra, Wei Nang gives a biography, it's actually made up by his his students, uh, gives a biography of his awakening experience. And his awakening experience began when he was um, delivering firewood and he heard somebody reciting from the Diamond Sutra. The Diamond Sutra basically says, no self, no other. That, you know, things are one. And he had a direct, vivid experience of that. Um, and so he got very intrigued. He took a journey of a thousand miles to go and see a teacher who was an expert in the Diamond Sutra in this oneness of things. And they had several dialogues. We talked about that a little bit. And at the end of the time, in this monastery of a thousand people, Wei Nang was recognized by the teacher and entrusted with the Dharma. I'll talk about entrustment a little bit. And after um, some months of, of kind of testing and refining, he was given authorization to carry the Dharma, to embody the Dharma by giving him a robe and a bowl. This Raksu is the abbreviated version of the robe, the classic Buddhist robe that goes over the left shoulder and 
usually there's a set of bowls, the Oriuki bowls that we use for meals are also representative of that. Huineng uh, took off in the middle of the night and uh, his teacher said, you know, go out in the woods and kind of mature, cure. Go out in the woods and ripen. Well, the next few days, all the monks at the monastery were a little be- mystified, upset, uh, that some alien, some foreigner, some barbarian had come into the monastery and been given sanction by his teacher and given this robe and bowl and, and uh, had taken off. And so, you know, some of the monks who had been there for years and who were very deeply in, engaged in this process became a little incensed and started chasing Wei Nang. And so this koan comes after the end of that chase. And the koan basically is the Hui Nang is carrying the robe and the bowl and this guy who used to be a general in the Chinese army who became a monk, who was apparently this very powerful, stolid guy, had been chasing him for days. And he chased him and he finally caught up with him. And when uh, the sixth ancestor saw uh, the, the monk Mio coming, he put down the robe and the bowl on a stump or a rock or something and the person came in and Queen and Hang said, well, this is what you want. Here, I give it to you freely. And so the guy comes over to grab it and he picks up the, the robe and the bowl, but he, he can't actually lift them. He can't actually uh, do anything with them. And then he said, I, did, I, I actually came for the truth. I came for the wisdom. I came for the Dharma. I didn't come for these symbols. Please teach me. And then Wei Nang says, well, when you were not thinking about good, not thinking about evil, when you were just totally engaged, where was your true nature? Where was your face? Okay, so that's, that's the koan. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. It has several parts. The first part is entrustment. So uh, Hong Zhu, the, the fifth ancestor at the monastery, basically had a experience of entrusted Wei Neng with something. And then there's a whole part about maturing. There is no shortcut to spiritual maturity. You know, it takes, you can't become a 60-year-old person in less than 60 years. So there's a, a maturing that has to happen. Now you can become a wise and graceful 60, 70, or 80-year-old person, or you can be a very superficial, shallow person. But to become a wise, mature person takes time. So there's a whole process of that. There's a whole process of aspiration. This monk was you know, chasing Wei Nang, uh, and Wei Nang had practiced and gone on a journey of a thousand miles. There's a deep aspiration, or aspiration for truth. There's a part of the koan about giving freely, about generosity. There's a part of the koan about before right and wrong, before good and evil. And there's a part of the koan about, well, what is your true faith? Who are you really in all this? So all these are elements of this particular koan. And as you, you know, as you work with a, a koan, as you go into it more and more deeply, as you begin to see the different sides of things, they all come out and they all can be tasted, flavor. So the first part I wanted to like to talk about this evening is trust. Trust or entrust. Entrust in a way means to, to give something to somebody. To trust means that you'll... Um, you, you, you assume that they'll do something 
to entrust, to give with confidence, to freely let go, to hand something over, uh, to give as a responsibility, and as a duty. So, Wenang had this meeting with his teacher, and there was a, a ceremony of entrustment. Often we call Dharma transmission a ceremony of entrustment. And entrustment can mean different things. It can mean, you know, that um, uh, I trust you to offer the teachings, I trust you to embody the teachings, I trust you to mature the teachings, I trust you to have continuous practice, I trust you to ripen your character, I trust you to respond, have, you know, take on the responsibility for the Dharma, I trust you to pass it on to disciples, lots of different kinds of entrustment, lots of different kinds of trust. I was talking with Shoto Harada Roshi one time, and a person I've studied for with in Japan, and there was a story about his early days of training, and they would say during Sashin, he would go out into this pond and he would douse himself with cold water in the middle of the night to keep himself awake and uh, wake up, to keep himself awake. And I was saying, tell me a little about this. What, what were you doing? And he said it was a whole, it was a process of entrustment. I was completely entrusting myself to, to the experience, completely entrusting myself to um, uh, this vivid aliveness that came. Completely entrustment. So how do we completely entrust ourselves to the moment? How do we entrust ourselves to awareness of our own being? How do we really entrust? How do we really trust? What do we trust? It's all part of this koan because we have to trust. You know, the, the Dharma is about trust. It's about knowing something fundamental and then learning to trust. The robe and the bowl, in a way, symbolize trust because the, the traditional Theravadan uh, ordination is you live in alms rounds. You live, you don't, you don't have a job. You, you're not allowed to farm. You're not allowed to um, work for money. And so you have to live on trust. So you say, okay, I want to become a follower of the Buddha. I want to become a, I want to go forth as a monastic. And you're given a robe and a bowl and say, here, you have to trust. You have to trust that when your heart is aligned with deep truth, that something will come forward, that the universe will respond. There is no reason any of us should expect to be fed. I mean, isn't it amazing that somehow we have earned a living or somehow food comes towards us? It could change just like that. So in a way, even though we feel like we're, we're struggling hard and earning our living, it is we have a, a foundation of trust. Now, sometimes we trust in the economic system of our, our country, but in a way, it's much more fundamental than that. There's something mysterious about things that, that just come forth. Um, there is no, we may have hope that we are going to be fed. We may have hope that we will have a place to sleep tonight. We may have hope, but it is quite possible that all that could change Boop. in an instant. You know, one little earthquake, one little lightning strike, one little car wreck, and suddenly whoop, everything has changed. So in a way, our whole life is a gift, and we're living on trust because it's amazing. It just keeps coming forward, keeps coming forward. We are so blessed. You know, we are so blessed. We have the 
certain economic <clears throat> stability and have good health and we've been around for a while and our country at this point is, is uh, stable compared to many countries in the world. So Master Weineng, the sixth ancestor, he was trusted. He was trusted to be honest, to be helpful, to be embody the, the Dharma. So when this monk came and was chasing him and finally caught up with him, his, Wei Nang's first act was an act of generosity. Here, you want this? I offer it to you freely. You want this? This is so important to you. This is something that you've been chasing me for days. This is something that you're passionate about. I give it to you freely. I give it to you. In a way, the universe is just giving to us all the time. Giving to us all the time. Giving to us all the time. I mean... It could be so, so different, and yet, here we are, alive, healthy, something is moving through us. It doesn't have to be that way. It's a gift. And when we begin to look at our life not as a right, not as, you know, well, I'm here and therefore I should, but instead as a gift, as something that is unfolding in, in a mysterious way, it changes our relationship to that life. It changes our relationship to to um, the world. So, this act of generosity is one of the precepts. Those of you who have taken the precepts, you know, we have the 16 Bodhisattva precepts, and one of the precepts is um, not to be stingy, not to be withhold spiritual or material aid, but to give it freely when needed. I always find that with the precepts, it's so interesting because we take them, we understand it, at some level, and then when our life gets into a crunch, we often forget them. And so one of the things that, that is the aspiration for everybody who really is a sincere practice practitioner is to embody the precepts, to be able to carry the precepts. So when we get into a really difficult time, we don't just collapse and start criticizing and judging everybody else and blaming everybody else, but we actually say, okay, what can I be responsible to, to do? How can I responsibly respond to the circumstances I find myself in? How can I keep being generous even though the circumstances are difficult? How can I not just collapse and start falling into rage, but how can I really look at the nature of mine? How can I look, really look at the source of all that? So this act of generosity, the generosity of our life, the generosity of the sixth ancestor, is part of this koan. You know, here's somebody is something that has been given to us, a precious thing, and he shares it instantly. How do we share what is really precious? How do we share what is most, most intimate with somebody else? And that generosity is based upon, of course, on non-separation. It's based upon oneness. It's based upon that the eye that sees, the act of seeing, what is seen is one thing. There is no separation between the two. The, that which is felt, the kinesthetic experience of feeling, the recognition of that feeling, and then what is felt is one thing. One thing. So the act of, genero of, of, of generosity is actually acknowledging non-separation. It's actually acknowledging that I'm giving to myself all the time. I'm letting go of I mean my by being generous, by offering, by offering. Which means I'm not holding on, I'm not grabbing a hold and not being fearful and small. But I'm 
giving, I'm giving, I'm letting go of my opinions, my views, myself. So everything is temporary. You know, everything we have is temporary. And so when we're being generous, we're really just sharing a temporary thing that we happen to have. You know, those, of, those of us who've been around for a while know that every single pair of clothes that you have is going to disappear at some point. Every single bit of money gets, just passes through and you wonder, where did it all go? Your car that you have is gone after a while. So, and then at a little deeper level, we also have the, the generosity of, of wisdom, of offering wisdom, of offering love, of offering kindness. That's the act of generosity. And it's not as though we have X amount of wisdom. We have three gallons of wisdom, and I'm going to give you two quarts of it, and then I'm only left with two and a half gallons of wisdom. Or I have, you know, six pints of loving kindness, and I'm going to give you two pints of loving kindness, and then I only have a quart of loving kindness left, or two quarts of loving kindness left. It doesn't work that way. You know, in a way, the more the more we give, the more the more wisdom there is. The more love we give, the more loving kindness there is. So this kind of generosity is not the generosity of, of dearth, not the generosity of, of paucity, not the generosity of, of uh, smallness. But the more generous, the more generous. So the Dharma is something that we can share freely. And we don't have to share it because I have it and I'm going to give it to you. Because what we're doing with the Dharma is we're saying, Let's recognize something that is always present in all beings right now, right here. Always recognized. And so Mio comes. He's chasing Wei Nang. Wei Nang has this offer of generosity. Uh, he, he, he goes to kind of grab the thing. And he finds he, he can't lift it. Now, what does that mean? I mean... It means that things aren't going to really be the place that satisfies our heart. We all hear this over and over again. All the research shows it. You know, there's a certain amount of money that's very important to have if, for people to feel uh, some sense of security. But beyond that, happiness does not increase. Beyond the the stuff you have, a certain point, happiness does not increase. It just becomes more burdensome. There's more things to take care of. So it may be that this guy comes and maybe he has a profound experience. He's, he's there going to grab this thing and think, ah, that's what I've been looking for. And he suddenly realizes it's just a thing. Just a thing. And a thing is not going to touch our hearts. You know, the bigger our bank account, our heart is not touched. We have a feeling of anxiety that is reduced sometimes. But the heart, the deep heart is not touched. So perhaps he had a, a letting go experience of trying to grab this. Perhaps he was so discouraged with his, his efforts that he let go. Perhaps he was so agitated that he couldn't organize himself. I don't know what it is. But somehow in this process of trying to get, the th he thought that he wanted a thing. And he got to the point where he got to get the thing and suddenly he finds the thing is not it. You know, oh, if I just had a better car. If I just had a better partner, or if I just had a better house, or if I just had a better... And all of us have been there. All of us have, have done our very best to, to set up conditions the way we thought we'd like them. And at some point, 
we, we realize, oh, it's not going to touch my deep heart. It's not going to touch my deep aspiration. I can't fill the hole with stuff. I can't fill the hole with stuff. And so then at that point we, we turn our awareness and say, well, what is the hole in the first place? What is the, the feeling of brokenness? What is the, the feeling of emptiness that I have? What is that? Who am I? And so then in this koan, the monk Mio says, help me, you know, can you teach me? I suddenly, I, I, I found this whole, I, 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 I've been looking for something all my life. Help me. Help me. So first, Wei Nang is generous with things, and then he's generous with the Dharma. Now, all of us know that when we get to these profound kind of truths, no matter what anybody says, no matter what we read, no matter what we watch, that until we have the direct experience ourselves, it's just a head idea. And so what all of practice is about is that we recognize for ourselves, that we recognize in our own being, that we recognize that we taste these things and learn to embody them. So, you know, we give lots of talks like this and you can go online. There's wonderful talks of many, many different kind of teachers. And I hope that the point of these talks is that it inspires us to look directly because it is the looking directly. That's where the Awakening happens. It's not because I got more information. I mean, we are very sophisticated people or we're stuffed full of information. And you can Google anything and get some more. So he so Wei Nang says to this monk, he says, When you were chasing me with all your heart, when you were running after me trying to, to, to catch up with me, and he could have said, When you were bowling, when you were dancing when you were eating, when you were driving, when you were ill in bed, when you were making love, when you were digging in the garden, when you were doing something completely, totally, wholeheartedly. When we're completely, totally engaged in the activity of our life. And what that means is when we're not busy thinking about, oh yeah, how am I doing here? Is this, do I like this? I don't like this. Oh, this is so boring. Oh, I wish I was out of here. But we're just completely engaged, completely engaged. At that moment, when we are completely engaged with whatever the, the, the substance of our life is, at that moment, when we're not busy thinking about, we're not busy immersed in past and future, when we're not busy just constantly evaluating and criticizing and judging, at that moment, we're completely engaged in whatever activity it is. Who are you? You're no longer objecting to your life, but you're living life fully. Who are you? And you can do that right now. You turn your mind, you turn your awareness right now, and you say, who am I? Who is it that has this face? Who is it that thinks these thoughts? Who is it that feels the tension in my body? Who is it that you know, has whatever calmness or agitation we have right now? And we can all right here, right now, you, you turn and you, you look directly at that and you can't find anyone. You can't find something. You can't find an answer to that question. In a way, that is the answer to that question. 
You turn around and you keep thinking, who am I? And I can't find anything in there. All I can find is there's lots of thoughts, but before thought, what's that? I can find feelings, but before feelings, what's that? What's that? I can find this body-mind, but if I take it all apart, what's left? We can't find anyone there. Check it out for yourself. You might call it space, possibly. So then we have the question, well, if, if who am I? We can't say we don't exist. I mean, that'd be stupid. Here we are all sitting here listening and having a conversation, and at least a one-sided conversation. So we can't say we don't exist. We all feel our bodies. On the other hand, we can't, we can't, there's nobody in there that we can see. There's no one behind there. We're dancing as fast as we can, and there's nobody we can find. And to actually see that there is no one doing all this dancing, to, to, to acknowledge what we already see, to acknowledge the, the truth of our own direct consciousness, our own experience. We see that, that who we are is the lively activity of life itself. Lively activity of life itself. The lively activity of life itself. Well, if we look at the dance of life, we look at the, the experience of life, and we think, okay, we hear, I'm going to be in this moment, moment by moment by moment. Well, which moment is the real moment? Which moment is the lively activity found in? What is the present moment? And if you look at the present moment, if it has the beginning, a middle, and an end, well, the beginning and the end aren't the present moment. Well, then how long is the part between the beginning and the, and the end, between the past and the future, how long is that moment? And of course, by the time we recognize it and say, oh, it's that, that point, that long, that's already memory. Because in a way, all of our brain is doing is processing previous stimuli. And by the time our brain recognizes something, it's already, we've already had the sensation that's gone through a nervous system, the brain has done something with it, it takes nanoseconds. So we're always living in the past in a way. And so we, all we're doing is recognizing familiar patterns of sensation. So who are we then? Who are we? And that's what this koan comes to give you. Who are we? When you were not thinking about past, present, or future, when you were looking directly at the vivid experience of this moment, when you were looking at the sacred generosity of the instant of arising, who are you? And that's the koan for all of us. And that's the, the koan of how do we express our ungraspable life? How do we express this mystery which can't be put in a box? How do we express the, the constant surprise of what am I doing here with these? Yeah. And so part of this koan is just appreciation of this mysterious movement of all things of the whole world through our particular consciousness which has no location, can't be pinned down, has no beginning, has no end, and yet. 
So that's what this koan's about. So I hope each of you penetrates, clearly sees, and embodies the essence of this koan. Thank you.